0: Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, the ministry of Compass Church, New Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 5. As you're turning there, I want to remind you once again of this little sheet you have in your bulletin. This is connection group homework. And if you don't know what that is, we'll tell you more about it, but hopefully connection groups kicked off this week. So you got a chance to use this thing. This is your opportunity to be able to figure out what we're going to talk about in in our groups this week. And so you don't have to worry about being intimidated by what they're going to talk about or some kind of crazy, you know, theological Bible knowledge stuff that you don't know or you are going to stump you or whatever, because everything we're talking about is right here on this card and will be hopefully discussed sometime during this sermon. So, this little bumper video that we just saw, you know, we talked about it last week with staff, and they were like, man, that's a powerful little video that you guys were showing right before the sermon, and, and it's, it's, it's really true, and the reason why it's, it's powerful and it kind of grabs you and kind of, you can almost hear a pin drop, is because is it juxtaposes two things, because on the one hand, there's this acapella, this little light of mine, I want to let it shine, and it's like... Yeah, I want my light to shine. I, I want to be a positive force for good in the world. I want to, I want to radiate goodness and truth and and all the stuff that I that I think and hope that I am. And then the images are that you see are, are chaos and anger and rage. And there's like this distance between the song that we hear that represents what we hope we are, and yet the images that. We see, we, we know we are, because even though you and I aren't the ones in, those, in that video, we know what we're capable of, and we know what's going on inside our own hearts, and it's the distance between those two extremities that makes us uncomfortable. We have a civility problem in our society and it seems as though it's getting worse every day. There's a coarsening of our language and our speech. There is a callousness to the way that we treat one another and a cynicism about life. We feel a greater justification to tear each other apart because the person I disagree with is no longer just wrong, they're evil. And if they get their way, everything will be destroyed. And if I think that person's actually evil, then I'm justified to do whatever it takes to stop the evil, right? So I can hurl all kinds of insults. I can twist words and take things out of context. I can harbor hatred because that's what you do with evil, right? All of that is a recipe for destruction in our society. And so we developed last week, if you remember a, a definition of civility, how we're going to define civility. And what we said was that civility is the art of upholding human dignity, even in the face of sharp disagreement with others. The art of upholding human dignity, even in the face of sharp, passionate disagreements with others. This of course does not mean political correctness political correctness is all about inventing rules that everyone has to follow to make sure that no one gets offended. And so all we end up doing is tiptoeing around each other and basically ignoring each other because we don't really want to offend anybody, so we don't engage. It's it's pathetic and what it's really all about is peacekeeping. Civility, on the other hand, is about peacemaking. Civility is the ability for you and I to run our beliefs up against one another, to have rigorous and robust debate that's passionate and opinionated, but yet done in an environment of respect for the dignity of the other person as a brother and a sister or a brother and a brother, however you want to do it, to walking together towards truth. That's what it should be. But where does it start? How do we create a more civil society? Well, the answers we said last week really begins and lies within us. And the reason it lies within us is because we are the cause of incivility. It starts with what comes up and out of, of, of this mouth and out of my actions. And so today, we're going to continue in our passage to focus on now some, some key areas that produce a more uncivil society and how we restrain those things or at least begin to bring those things under control in our own lives. And you might be surprised at, at some of the things that he talks about and yet at the same time understanding that all of this is very behavioral. Spirituality, your spiritual maturity is not just your level of Bible knowledge or what you think about God or how many times you come to church. Your spiritual maturity is absolutely measured by how you treat the people around you, especially those closest to you. So let's look at what he says in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what, what is earthly in you, Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now I want to stop right there because when you see that word, therefore, in the Bible, whenever you see the word therefore, you always have to ask the question: What? What is the therefore? Therefore, why does he say therefore? And usually you know the answer by just going back to what he said before. So he's saying, put to death these following things. Put to death, therefore, these things. Why does he say therefore? Because we learned last week that we've been raised with Christ, that we were dead and now we're alive. God has justified us, meaning he has made us right with him. He has forgiven us. He has, uh, by, by the shed blood of Jesus, he has redeemed us. And so because of that, These are the ways that we should act, and these are the things that we should do. And so he says, continuing on, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator." Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. The beautiful thing about that last verse is it's such a testament to how the, 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 the common awareness of forgiveness breaks down racial and ethnic barriers that divide us. There is no ethnic division anymore. There's things we can celebrate about one another. But there shouldn't divide us because we've been forgiven. So anyway, let's look at what he, he says in this passage. He starts off by listing a bunch of words that really all, at the beginning, all have to do with sexuality. I mean, even when he talks about passion, what that really means is lust. And so our sexual behavior, desires, lust, everything else. And so he says that, and then he moves on to issues revolving anger and malice and hatred and all that kind of stuff. So th- really, there's two kind of ideas It boils down to lust and anger. And if we can understand the effect that these things have on our lives, then we may be able to become people who can, who can live as though we've actually been forgiven, live that we've been called righteous, live as God has intended us to live. And we may actually have a more civil society. So you may ask yourself the question, what does lust have to do? What does sexual morality have to do with, with civility? Why do we bring that into the equation? Isn't it just about being nicer to people? Because there's all kinds of people that are nice to people and are civil to people, but they're not necessarily sexually moral people. What does that have to do with anything? Well, you have to understand, it's really important to see, this is a very interesting pattern that's traced all throughout Scripture. Not only is it in Colossians, but it's in Romans, chapter 1 in particular. When Paul outlines, like, how does a society going from go from functioning pretty well to completely deteriorating and falling apart? And he says it really, what happens is, it can, it can unravel from the inside out. And it starts when people remove their knowledge of God. When they distance themselves from God, when they kind of lose their anchoring from God, they begin to compromise their sexuality they begin to kind of loosen their sexual standards and they begin to do all kinds of things which result in bitterness, in brokenness, in messed up relationships, and all kinds of things. And those things begin to kind of poison the water of the culture. And as that happens, there's another step of bitterness and rage and anger and malice. And he goes on to list all kinds of things, murder and and everything else. And the worst kinds of things you can have in a society can be traced back to a progression that begins with kind of saying, You know, we don't really care about what God thinks, so we become more sexually kind of liberal, and then that creates a society that's coarse and corrupt and bitter. Jesus himself, when he talks about the Sermon on the Mount, that has been known as the greatest sermon ever preached, and he starts off by really saying, guys, there's two qualities, two pathologies that, in fact, if you don't get these things under control in your life, you cannot live the life that God desires, and it basically boils down to lust and to anger. And so we have to understand that these two forces are always trying to control us in one way or another. And the more that we let them, the more incapable we become of civility. That's really important. The more lust controls you and the more anger controls you, the less capable you are of being a person who could contribute to a civil society because you become blind to the needs of others because you are so incredibly absorbed with the desires that are overtaking you you can't even see what the other person around you needs. And so if we're gonna look at this, we really kind of have to come to grips with this thought, that civility in society on a macro level needs to start at the micro level with us in our own circle. Civility starts in your own circle. We can't ever hope for a civil society if we ourselves can't treat the people who live closest to us in our homes, the ones who we work with, the ones who serve food to us, the ones that we, that we kind of share a common geographical space with on a daily basis that we interact with, we drive past or whatever else. If we cannot learn how to treat the people that we can physically be in proximity with, with civility, we can't ever hope to ever see it take root in society at any grand scale. And so we have to ask the question, why is it that Paul would start with, with sexuality? when it comes to talking about the things that he wants us to put to death in our lives, the things that he wants us to be transformed by. And because if you let your sexual desires get the best of you, you will become a cruel and calloused person and you will become incapable of loving other people. We just mentioned this a minute ago. You see, we seldom so ever think through the consequences of our actions. We love to talk about our rights, but we never really think about our responsibilities. And so you start thinking about, the things that I do and how they impact other people. You know, you might say something like, let's take something kind of innocuous as like, you know, go, for some guy, he says, hey, I'm going to go to a strip club, right? So he goes to some strip club and he says, why is that wrong? I mean, after all, I'm not physically touching the girl. There's no contact. So there's no consequence. There's no relationship going on. I'm just going to a bar, having a few drinks and watching these girls strip. So going to strip joint, how how is that, if you're going to call that sexually immoral, how is that contributing to an uncivil society? But have you ever thought about it from the perspective of the stripper? In other words, here's a girl who was created in the image of God, who is somebody's daughter, God's daughter, if no one else. And No matter whether she ever realizes this or thinks about this or cares or has ever thought about it in her life, she was not meant or intended or created to be someone who slithers up and down a pole in front of a bunch of strangers who have no investment in her, who have no care or concern for her welfare, just so they can simply get off by watching her. She was never intended for that purpose when God knit her together in her mother's womb, when God knew her before the beginning of the universe, when God made her in his holy image. He never intended for her to live that kind of a life. But the fact is that she's doing what she's doing because no one gave her a reason not to. Whether it was a father or any other figure in her life, no one said, listen, you're more than that. It doesn't matter if you can make more money doing that than waiting tables, your, your dignity is worth more than money. No one put that in her, so she came to a point where she said, I have no reason not to do this. And you, by going there, are financing that business. You're keeping it afloat. You're making it possible and you're reinforcing in her mind the idea that yes, this is what I'm supposed to do because it works. And we never think about how that might degrade the soul of that person. We merely take advantage of the fact that that's where she is. And so her own depravity, her own um, misunderstanding of who she is in the eyes of God, you now have profited on yourself, but you say, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm not hurting anybody. Why? Because you're incapable of understanding how your actions impact other people when lust seizes you. Take, for example, another example would be an extramarital affair. If you are tempted, if a person is tempted to have an extramarital affair, do they ever think about how that might impact the spouse of the person that they want to have the affair with? And they might say, well, you know, he he doesn't care about her. She she doesn't, she can't, she doesn't have any ability to meet his needs like I could but who are you to say that? And why is that relevant? Why is that relevant at all? This is, a, this is a holy union that God has put together. And you're exploiting the fact that they're having problems or having distance from each other and you're using that as an excuse for you to get something that you want. And what about the children that would be involved in such a situation? What are you asking them to absorb? What are you asking them to deal with? The fact that their mother or their father cheated on their they're on their spouse? And now what happens? There's a divorce and, the, and they go, well, shoot, you know, that becomes their life story. They go, well, everything was going along fine and then dad cheated on mom and then, you know, we had to sell the house and I had to go to a different school and all my, lost all my friends and now Christmas sucks and all the other holidays suck and I don't know what's going on and, and he's mad and, and there's some other dude in the, and, and it's just, it's chaos. Because of you. Because you said two consenting adults can do whatever they want. You see, now the reason, the reason, see, the reason we bring this up is because for Paul, these kinds of, the, the, the idea of holiness is behavioral. And, and it has to be the place where I think to myself, what are the second and third order consequences of my decisions? And, and how would this, this, I, this desire that I have, what is the consequence that it may have on people that I can't even think about yet? How am I, how wide of a net and long of a shadow is being cast on people. Potentially for generations. And I'm not saying that God can't heal that and forgive. No, th- that's not the point of this. We, we, we know we talk about grace all the time. I'm not here to pound people for making, you know, uh, bad and sinful decisions. We know that God rescues us from all that. But that's not the point. The point is, looking forward now, as we continue on in our lives, we have to ask ourselves, what are we contributing to the world around us? And we think, oh, it's no big deal. Does it matter? Because it doesn't hurt me. Even when he talks about these kinds of things, all these different various kind of um, adjectives. We even look at, at um, premarital sex. You know, for the younger people or you unmarried people, you say, well, what's the big deal? You know, guys, you're going to sleep with your girlfriend? You say, well, well, we're in love. That's fine, but if you do that, understand you're, you're, you're exposing her to potential pregnancy so she could potentially be a single mom because there's no guarantees you're going to marry her. And then beyond that, you're, you're basically putting her in a position where, you know, now she's got this history that she, to whoever actually does make the commitment and actually does marry her, she will have maybe potentially disclosed that and the, the repercussions of that, whatever they might be. But even more than that, she, you, you're, you're tying her to this emotional relationship that she's going to have to untangle herself from, and it's going to be messy, and it's going to be brutal, and it's going to hurt because you went there, and you went that far. And you might say, well, it's, it, it's, it's, oh, it's no big deal, but it is a big deal. Because these are the things that drive people into counseling and drive them to drug abuse and drive them into depression. I heard a guy say recently, uh, he was a, a clinical psychologist. He said the vast majority of the people that I've met with, they do not have mental problems. They don't have mental illness. Their problem is the lack of virtue in the people around them. That's why they come see me. Striking. So we say this again because we, th- th- the idea is just we think about this. So when Paul says put to death these things, he doesn't say work on them. You know, he's like, I got to work on my lust. You know, and it's like I got to work on my lust. Like I got to something on, the, you know, like a project in the backyard. I gotta get to it when I can, you know, every other Saturday or something I tinker around. No, he says, he says, put it to death. So how do you capture the imagery of that? Well, so last week I was taking some trash out. In the garage going out through the little side garage door and i noticed a spider a big ugly horrid spider that looked like this do you see it it had a big sack on it like what is that like a big bag of some centers pregnant or I don't, know, I don't know anything about biology right or insectology whatever it is so i go whatever that thing is that sucker needs to die, okay? It needs to die. I don't care. You know, call me an insectist or whatever. Um, you hate insects. Or that's not even an insect though. Spider's not an, it's an arachnid, right? Yeah, thank you. Um, whatever, I'm an arachnidist. I hate arachnids. So um, I, I had to kill it, right? So I go, I, but it was right by the wall. And so it's one of those things where if you, you know, it's like, how do I get it with them? Am I going to hit the wall? And then I'm going to miss him. He's going to run away. And, he's, and it's going to be bad because he's going to be, you know how that is, right? So I grabbed my son and I said, okay, because the web was kind of like, <laughs> I did. This is like, this is a team effort here. I'm, I'm training him, you know. This is you when you're the man of the house, right? And we're the only two guys in the house. We got to figure this out. So there's a web um, that's like stuck to the wall and then stuck to these screens that we had leaning against the wall. I said, okay, son, I want you to pull the screen out. So we kind of pull the web apart and I got a clear shot. And I had like a magazine that's bam, right? So, so that's what we did, right? It's kind of like, you know, one, two, three. Is it one, two, three? Or is it one, two, three, go, right? That whole thing. So we had like the, from uh, Lethal Weapon. And so, you know, you had that whole conversation, and then we get everything ready. It's premeditated. It's thought through. We got the weapon. got the plan. Set it. Boom. Here we go. Pull the thing up. Bam. And then that was, this is the before picture. This is the after picture. Look at that. I mean, that's a cool picture. And this is like, there's nothing there. All, all you, there's, that's all that's left for the spider, right? I mean, I just destroyed that guy. Done. And I even hosed down the garage, cleaned up the whole crime scene, right? Everything. Why? I put that thing to death, man. I had a plan, I had the weapon, I had everything just premeditated, thought out. Like, I'm not screwing around. I am gonna kill this thing dead, 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 dead. Cause it is a nasty, big old, what was he? What do you have like 85 babies in that bag? I thought I was gonna hit it and all these little other spiders gonna crawl out. I don't know. I don't know anything about arachnids, you know? So anyway, I kill it. Now why do I say give you this illustration? First of all, cause it's sick. I showed my wife the picture. She couldn't even look at the picture. She's like, I can't believe you're going to show it to the church. Because she's like, Ooh, you know, she wouldn't even go out in the garage. She didn't want to look at the picture. I took a picture of us. I'm like, look at this. Anyway, here's the point. The point is, you put it to death. Your lust. All of that stuff. And how do you do that? You say, how do I do that? How do I put it to death? You don't just, you don't just screw around. You just go, well you know, sometimes I just kind of... No, you go, dude, I am not doing that anymore. How do you do that? You can only do that by surrendering to something greater. You surrender to the authority of God. And you say, I'm surrendering the lust that controls me to a God who controls me. And you have to make that, you have to say, this is better than that. That walking in the light of obedience to God is better than than sexual immorality. And by the way, when you do that, the people around you will be blessed. They'll be blessed because you are not going to inject pain into their life. You see what I'm saying? You're not gonna inject hurt and wounds and crap into their life because you're gonna walk in purity. How is that? How could you criticize that? It's not about you. It's about the, I, I'm not. I mean, I love you. I'm concerned about you, but I'm concerned about the people around you. So there's a sense of surrender. Civility starts in here with my most basic desires, but then he continues on. He says, but now you must put them all away. And when he says, put them all away, it, it is, uh, the phrase is kind of like, um, take take it off like a shirt. Like a dirty shirt. Off like a dirty shirt. Take these things off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This is so fascinating because it's anger is something we wear like a shirt. It fits us. It's like somebody that you know, they always wear the same clothes, you know. And you know, You can say this oh, like this guy always wears the same shirt like every other day, you know, and um, and it just it, the, after a while, the shirt just kind of starts to fit you. And so anger becomes something that when you when you sit in it for so long, it just becomes a part of you. And Paul says it's time to get rid of that thing. Take that sucker off. Burn it. Throw it away. Anger. You see anger can dominate the life of everyone not just the person who is always the extroverted outburst person anger can even dominate the introverted person who maybe doesn't blow up all the time but whose every move and and word is is calculatingly cruel and cynical Dallas Willard great Christian philosopher who sadly uh, passed away I think last year. Dallas Willard says anger at its core is the will to harm. So I may not actually harm you when I'm angry, but I want to. I want to cut you down. I want to make what I think is wrong right. And if I could, then I would. We get angry when our goals and expectations are blocked. That's what makes us angry. So the food should have been here in less than 10 minutes. And I was supposed to make every green light from here to Glendale. That was supposed to happen. And it didn't happen. And because of that, my will was not done. My will was crossed. And that produces a reaction in me because my expectation was not met. No one complimented me on my hair. And on and on and on. And when you're angry, you always feel justified. You always do. You never get angry and go, it's not right for me to be angry. No, you're like, no, I'm right, right now. This is me, man. This is me making everything right that's been wrong. I have the right to just go crazy right now. Nobody ever thinks in the moment of anger that their anger is unjustified. I don't mean being passionate or animated. I don't mean you, you know, that's not what we're talking about. I'm a passionate person. I'm animated. Okay, there's a difference between like, hey, you know, or, you know, even if you're kind of frustrated and, and the anger that's being talked about here. In fact, the stoic philosopher Seneca likened an angry person to a madman. Listen to what he says. It's brilliant. He lived at the time of Christ. Listen to how he described anger. He said, The signs of angry men, too, are the same as a madman. Their eyes blaze and sparkle. Their whole face is deep red with the blood which boils up from the bottom of their heart. Their lips quiver. Their teeth are set. Their hair bristles and stands on end. Their breath is labored and hissing. Their joints crack as they twist them about. They groan, bellow, and burst into scarcely intelligible tongues. They often clap their hands together and stamp on the ground with their feet, and their whole body is highly strung and plays those tricks which mark a distraught mind so as to furnish an ugly and shocking picture of self perversion and excitement. It's pretty good. There's no difference when you are angry between you and a lunatic. They are one and the same as far as he is concerned. You could not tell who was who. All of this leads to malice and slander and of course, obscene talk. Obscene talk. Swearing and contemptuous words. You know, we could talk forever about this and, and it's such an interesting issue in our society right now because nobody really seems to care as much. But let's just, let's just bat this around for a little bit. Let's just take, for example, everybody's favorite word, the F word which I actually saw it stitched on a pillow a couple days ago. (laughs) I kid you not. I mean, when I was growing up, you had Bible verses stitched on a pillow at your grandma's house. I saw it stitched on a pillow at this little uh, kind of um, boutique store that I was walking past. Like, seriously, you could buy this and put it on your bed. It's kind of bizarre. But anyway, pretty much as a general rule, you can understand that people use the F word when they, they don't have the capability of articulating their thoughts at that given moment. They don't know what to say at that moment, so that word comes out as a filler. So thus, it takes longer for a person to say a given sentence because every other second, they inject that word in between. So it should take you ten seconds to say. It takes you twenty seconds today because you've doubled the amount of words that you said because you don't have the, you, you're not under you're not capable of uttering a word with clarity of thought. So you inject that word in there. So it's an indication that you do not know. Or you are not in control of either your thinking, or you are also not in control of your emotions because it's a word of expression that, that gets out something that you can't really put into words. You say it, and it's contemptuous at its core. It really is a, a type of verbal incontinence, is really what it is. It just leaks out. It does. And you might say, well, how, how, why is it so bad? What's the big deal? It's not a big deal for me to say. Try going a day without saying it, those of you who do. It's part of your vocabulary. Try going a day without saying it and see how hard it is for you to communicate. My son and I were at a baseball game last week and these two guys were sitting behind us. And I'm telling you, You know, and I'm not like a prudish guy or anything, and you know, I mean, my son's old enough and whatever, but this, I was sitting there going, after a while, you're like, really? Like, this dude could not get through a sentence. I mean, he could be talking about his his grandmother, you know? And he could not, it was like a word that he was attached to, and all it reveals is I don't, I don't have any control of my thoughts or my emotions, so it just spews out. I don't even know what I'm doing right now. But it comes up from a core so often of, of repressed or suppressed anger that's a constant low-grade state. And you know, this whole anger thing is a big deal. And it really convicted me because you have to think about what you're asking the people in your life who are closest to you to absorb. You have to think about that, you guys. What am I asking the people who have committed themselves to me, who live in my home, who work with me? What am I asking the people who live in proximity with me to absorb? And I know that over the years, I've let circumstances of life, you know, being late, or things aren't going well, you know, I've been here for 10 years, you know, seasons when things haven't been going well here, or maybe just things aren't going well in general, they're not meeting my expectations. And when that happens, I, because of my temperament and everything else, I just I just feel the need to express my displeasure. And so it's not like I'm saying I'm, I'm I'm angry necessarily at those people in my life, but they they are like audience members of my performance. And I never asked. I've so seldom in my life. And I was looking at this passage. I, like, I got to be honest. Like so seldom in my life, if I really I've really said gosh, is it, is it really kind of a, a sad thing to have to be them at times? To have to have me in their life when, I'm, when, I'm, when I feel so justified because things didn't go the way I wanted them to. And so because of that, you need, to, you need to sit there while I go off for five minutes about how everything is not right. I mean, it's kind of funny sometimes too. You know, like the other night, and it's, it's, it's funny until it's directed at you, Right? It's funny, it's almost, like, it's almost like being at the zoo and like watching an animal It's like freaking out, you know, like, <laughs> that's interesting. But then if they're coming at you, it's a little scary. So the other night I was changing a light bulb in my laundry room. And, uh, you know, it's one of these fixtures where there's a little, little nut and you have to unscrew it, but then like the whole thing kind of comes down and And so you know i 'd done this a bunch of times, so I pull the thing down and I change the light bulb and then as i 'm standing on the ladder, you know I got this thing and i 'm and I'm, I'm trying to thread the the nut back over to get it so it it will support the the little fixture that 's on there, so i 'm threading and it won 't thread and so i 'm like turning it and turning it and turning i 'm like, man, like what I got the thing off, and what is wrong so so i 'm in the laundry room, and I begin to verbalize my displeasure with the person who invented The light fixture. Not me. It's the guy that made it. And I'm in my mind, I'm going, dude, this guy, I know he's like, he invented this thing, and he probably went, wow, look at me, I'm so smart. And he's like, convinced all these people to make 10 million of them and put them in housing tracks all over Arizona, and he's probably off somewhere with his. Benz and his Rolls Royce and his little martini, and he's smiling, he's laughing, ha ha, you know, life is great, and he doesn't know that he's screwed the masses, right? Me, you know, and he doesn't know what he's done to me. He's like, if I could, he was just standing here, I would look at him and say, Man, your invention is a failure, and you are a failure failure, because this is the best thing you thought you did, and it doesn't work, and I'm thinking, and I'm I'm not thinking this, I'm saying this, right? I'm like, what is wrong with the people that make this stuff, and I'm trying to turn this thing, right? And I'm going, and finally, of course, I get it after a long time, and I thread this thing. It stays put. It's fine, and I come down, and there my wife is in the other room, and I walk in, and she's just looking at me. (laughs) Who is this person that I married? The sad thing is, though, is she knows. She knows. Because we've been married for 19 years. Now, that's kind of a funny ha, ha story, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, like, it's like my wife can be sitting on a, it's like she's sit on a nice island, you know, on a beach with a nice little pina colada and a little magazine or something. And here comes Hurricane Tim, right? <sighs> you know, and I'm knocking over the cabanas, and I'm, like wrecking the beach and, and blowing the trees down. And then I just roll on out of there, right? And I'm rolling on out and then there she is stuck there like, you know, her hat's gone. Sand in the, in the drink, in her little drink and, you know, whatever. Everything's wrecked and messed up, but I'm, I'm fine now. I just, and, and it's like, and, it, and honestly, like I sit there and go, that's a problem. And I'm not saying that anger is always wrong. There are times when it was right. But let me tell you, I heard, again, I was watching something that Dallas Willard was talking about and it absolutely, it absolutely threw me against the wall. He said this. He said, everything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. Everything you can do with anger, you can do better without it. You can discipline your kids better without anger than with Even warfare, you can do better without anger, even in the middle of warfare. You know, the things you do in warfare out of anger can land you in Leavenworth. People lose control of their emotions, and they feel justified in the moment. There's a guy named Tim Larkin wrote a book called When Violence is the Answer, and he talked about times when he says, only in, 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 when your life is in actual immediate mortal danger should you exercise violence against someone else. But then when you do, you better basically be ready to completely immobilize them. And it's not as hard as you think. And he has all this, he's like an expert in like killing people basically, or at least immobilizing them. But one of the points he makes is he says, what people misunderstand is they, there's so many good people in prison right now because they were in a bar and, And somebody hit him in the shoulder, and they let their anger get the best of them, and they thought it was no big deal if the fight was consensual. And they injured the other person or killed the other person. And now they're spending 15 years in jail. He says, Well, you don't know the law. And he, he talked about how violence in the vast majority of situations is not only unnecessary, but is very illegal. So Paul says, Take it off like a dirty shirt, it doesn't fit you anymore. And you know the truth of the matter is some of us walk around like a tinderbox and you know those people, right? Maybe you live with one of them. Maybe you are one of them. And you walk around like a tinderbox and at any moment you could blow up. Who do you think you are? You're making life a living hell to the people around you. And I know it's because you feel like you deserve it because you've been hurt so bad. See, when you know what anger is, all anger really is, is is a reaction against God because you can't control everything but he can. So the problems in your life ultimately are God's fault because he let them happen. And your anger is basically you're, exple- you're expressing your displeasure with what God has done or what he's allowed to do. So you walk around like a little child all angry because there's things you can't control that have happened to you and I'm not saying there's not painful things that, 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 that of course hurt us emotionally, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person that walks around and everybody has to walk around eggshells in them because they're justified because somehow their life is worse than everybody else. And you know what? It sows nothing but disaster in the lives of the people around them. And the way you get rid of it is by surrendering yourself to the will of God. And it doesn't mean that you don't try to change things, but you do so without anger. You actually try to live your life without anger anger. And that, and you go, well, how do I get anything done? You need to change the whole way that you communicate. It is possible. So if the food comes late and they got your order wrong and you're hungry and you don't have much time, God knew that was going to happen. God knew it was going to happen and he allowed it to happen to you. He allowed it to happen. He allowed the server to and the cook and everybody to get the order wrong and bring it late, even though you're hungry and you're busy and you don't have time. He's watching. uh, He he allowed the whole thing to happen. The question for you is, is your response going to indicate that you've been raised with Christ? That's it. That is it. Will your response indicate that you have been raised with Christ? Can you solve that problem without anger? That's a good question. When there is someone with whom you disagree politically and you see them as the cause of all the world's problems, it doesn't mean you can't disagree or express your opinion or call them out. The question is can you do so without anger? Because you're supposed to put it away. He just said, put it away. Put it away. But I, I don't know how to do that. M- me too. You know, I'll tell you that I've not been this convicted over a message that I preached in at least a, probably a year, because I think about the angst that I've got, and 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 it's again, like I said, it's not like I'm this like abusive but I run hot. You know what I'm saying? Like the red line and I'm just go, 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 right? And so I just, like I'm moving and everything else and it's just like, it, it, I guess when I read this it, and we talk about civility and it hit me and we talk about civility being, being starting with the people closest to me and, and my, you know, I mean, again, it's just like I have to step back and go, wait a second. Holy cow, like as, as a man, as a pastor, as a dad, as a husband, as a, as a, as a father, what am I asking the people around me to absorb? again I don't get it something's not right when my goal has been blocked how it creates a sense of righteous indignation so I feel justified in my actions and you see <laughs> this is so crazy because you never stop growing as a christian and, and I'm telling you, you just keep, you stay on the path and then once in a while you sit there and you go, you know, I really have been called into a radical life. I really have been called into a radical life that demands from me something I, I, just, I just never thought I would be ever able to do or maybe things I never even realized in my life. You see, to surrender yourself to the will of the Father, which is all, really all that is is the same thing that Jesus did. So when Jesus asks you to follow him, he's saying, surrender your will to the Father the way I've surrendered the will to the Father, my will to the Father. The way to put lust to death and to take off anger like a dirty shirt is to surrender it to a greater authority. You have to surrender it to a greater authority. And that may sound weak. Some of you may think, well, that sounds weak, to surrender, you know, I surrender But it's not. I'll tell you why. I'll give you an example. The 300 Spartans that famously went on a suicide mission to hold back the Persians at the Battle of Thermopylae, like 486 BC, I think. And they made the movie about it, and it's kind of a legendary thing, and anybody that kind of knows military history will, will know about this story. These guys these crack troops that went out and they knew what they were getting into and they held off the Persians for this amazing amount of time and the Persians saw the bravery of the Spartans and it really kind of changed the trajectory of of that whole conflict between, you know, west and east in a lot of ways. But if you go to the, the battlefield, there is an inscription that simply says, tell the Spartans all who pass by that here obedient to their laws we lie. And the idea is that they didn't surrender to fear but they obeyed the laws of courage and of sacrifice. They didn't obey the laws of self-preservation and fear and individualism but they obeyed a different law. And it's in that obedience that made them strong and successful. That's what it means to surrender. They surrendered themselves to a different set of laws. And, and really that's what the Christian life is, you guys. It's just saying, I, I'm going to live by a set of laws no matter what. Either I'm going to live in a cesspool of lust and anger throughout the course of my life that I will try to keep under control so I can maintain my job and not be seen as a pervert or a psychopath to the people around me, which is what most people really do. They just kind of guard the edges, so they can get through life in a somewhat successful way. But they let these two things dominate them throughout the course of their life, which is why the Bible identifies them in so many different aspects. You can obey those, you can basically obey those laws and just have a nice sled run all the way straight into hell. This is just what you can do. Or you can say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. God, you're bigger than my rights. <laughs> You're bigger than all the things I'm owed. You're bigger than all the victimization that I feel. God, can I live my life without anger? Can I crucify lust? And by the way, if you do those two things, every person around you will lift. Every person around you will be blessed. Every person around you will thank God that you are in their life. Do you understand that? That's the call to follow Him. Let's pray. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, you know, um, this is an opportunity for you. Some of us need to surrender ourselves to the authority of God. For the very first time, you just never done it, and you say, "You know what? That that's me, man. I, I mean, I got other issues going on too. But boy, you kind of nailed me. That's that's where I'm at. That's what I do. And I I don't want to be like that anymore. So God, tonight, I'm telling you, I put my life into Your hands. I I can't promise I want that I'll be perfect. I I You don't expect perfection. You're the only one who's perfect, but God, I want to take steps towards you. I want to be identified with you. I want to live under your rules. And not so that I can get into heaven, but because you've given me heaven. Because you've shown me the way of peace. You've raised me up. And so I accept your forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Tonight I become a Christian. You know, there's some of us in here tonight who've been Christians for years, and, you know, like me, I've been a Christian for a long time, and then something, you read something, and it just kind of hits you over the head, and you hear a guy say, You know, Jesus really wants us to live a life devoid of anger, it's not justifiable. Going off on things because you're frustrated. And then you ask yourself, man, what have I allowed, what have I asked the people around me to deal with? Yeah, I mean, let me ask you, is it kind of a a drag to be around you? Seriously. Is it a drag to be around you, Christian? Not all the time, but sometimes. That's on you. You got to ask yourself, what, What are you not believing about God and his goodness and his power? What are you not surrendering? That's big stuff, man. That's big stuff. So God, we are um, grateful that you open our eyes and you show us what we need to see. So we can live as we've been made to live. In Jesus' name, amen thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for him. To find out more about our church online, go to www.cobleschurch.info and we'll see you next time.